<laughs> our professionalism is at its normal level. Uh, we are off and running here. October 11, 2015, lecture discussion number 215, I hope, on the Book of Romans, though it may not seem like uh, the Book of Romans. I throw that in every now and then because people do write me and say, I don't see any Romans in the Roman study, but this is in fact Romans 11 specifically, or especially Romans 11:26. Uh, those of Israel Romans 11:26 is talking about those who, of Israel who survive until the blessing of the 1335th day. Most of you, all of you know what that means. You know that that is the 75-day interval plus the 1260 days, right? That's Daniel 12:12. 12, 12. That's what Romans 11:26 is about and that's what we're doing right now. That's why we're where we are. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So that's the blessing of the 1,335th day. If my name was Daniel, I'd probably know that. <laughs> Obviously, I've been presenting the case that Luke 17.32, Christ's unbelievably mysterious message, remember Lot's wife has something to do with Daniel 12.12, 12, the blessing of the 1335th day, as well as the sign of the taking of the bride. I can't put that word on the board enough. Taking. Taking or taken, whichever you come across in the New Testament specifically. But whatever you see taken... Ask yourself, is this something to do with the taking of the bride of Christ? It's my purpose, uh, as you know, for us to fully consider the entirety uh, of remember Lot's wife. Because it might be God's final message, Christ's final message to his nation. They are the wife of Jehovah. They are symbolized as a wife. The church is symbolized as the betrothed bride. And the remember Lot's wife might be the final thing he says to them before he returns. And he tells them ahead of time to remember Lot's wife. Israel is going to be surrounded. They're going to be pursued. They're going to be facing annihilation. And Christ tells them to remember Lot's wife. Or... If you want to put it this way, remember the pillar of salt. Now, we've been debating whether or not that's an encouragement, or is that a warning of impending eternal death? In other words, is he threatening them or encouraging them? That's your two choices here, and remember Lot's wife. Again, Israel surrounded, the campaign for Armageddon, the Antichrist has probably taken Jerusalem. Uh, there's tremendous concern if you're a Jew now, you're fleeing, and you're to remember Lot's wife. Is that a threat or a warning from Christ? God. There's no dispute that Lot's wife is a very difficult example. Put that word on the board. I'm going to erase all of these in a minute. Example. It's a very difficult example in the Bible. I'm not going to uh, suggest otherwise. I recognize that uh, it causes consternation in theological circles, as it should. Henry Morris 
As you know, Henry Morris is somebody that uh, had a great impact on uh, my life, especially as I was younger, and I got to see his lectures um, and him and Dwayne Gish and some of those folks that uh, took a tremendous amount of heat back in the 70s. Yes, I really am that old. So Henry Morris uh, impacted me a great deal, and he said this about Lot's wife. He said, the very strange references to Lot's wife require discussion. And that was Dr. Morris's polite way of saying that, that this isn't easy. There's a lot more here than we could ever imagine. We're going to have to move very slowly, and we're going to have to think very carefully about Lot's wife. Don't rush to a quick conclusion. Chances are, okay, you are going to be wrong if you rush to a quick conclusion here. It is my approach uh, whenever I'm talking about Lot's wife to emphasize God's character as well. Uh, You need to know that God is not vindictive. That shouldn't have to be said, right? He is not vindictive. He's not impulsive. He's not capricious. He's not unstable. Unfortunately, most of the commentary on Lot's wife descends into that kind of territory. God did not strike Lot's wife dead because she stole a quick glance back at Sodom and Gomorrah, at Sodom's destruction. This is not true. She wasn't going this way, and then she went, I wonder what it looks like, and as soon as she turned her head, God killed her. If that's your view, oh my goodness. I don't know what to say. Um, if, If he were to destroy everybody who looked back at something, how many are going to be left? How many teenagers would survive? I mean, think it through. If that's, you have to defend that position. He knows our frailty. He makes us, right? He has created us. He understands us. He knows us in a way that we can't even begin to know ourselves. I want you to, to abandon that kind of thinking that somehow God angrily struck her dead because she did this. I always ask the people that have that view, how many eyes did she see Sodom and Gomorrah with? Did she turn her head completely around? What if she only had a quarter of the right eye? What if she's left-eyed? Can't see very well in the right eye. Did she have to turn? I mean, come on. Stop those, abandon those kinds of conclusions, that kind of thinking. That's insulting. That's dishonoring to God. Have the highest position of Christ you can have. Not the lowest that you can have. God, don't be so disrespectful. God is holy, absolutely, and omnibenevolent, which means he is, he is pure good. He thinks differently than us. His ways are not our ways. He is always righteous. He is the good shepherd. Our thoughts are, and ways are simple, are childish. Recognize that we have no idea how dumb we are. When you say to yourself, I might know something, be suspicious of the person that said that. We're child, children, we're childish. We love the simple, Proverbs 1.22. The simpler it is, the more that we love it. And Lot's wife is not simple. Christ has said something that's amazing here. There's great wisdom here. Along these lines, I received a letter. 
okay, an email from Deborah. And it made me laugh. So whenever I get comedy, whether it's intentional or not, I like to share it. Dear Pastor Chronister, okay, we start out with comedy right there. Huh? <laughs> I still wait with bated breath for each new sermon download. Each sermon brings new information about God's glorious word. Thank you so much for your dedication to faithfully preach the truth. Here's the fun part. Deborah, that's what she says. I recently began reading E.W. Bullinger's commentary. <laughs> that's a great idea, by the way. E.W. Bullinger, a brilliant man. Uh, he has some ideas that uh, are, what, how shall I say it, are not commonly held, uh, but a brilliant man. I recently began reading E.W. Bullinger's commentary in preparation for Bible Study Fellowship. If there's two things that do not go together, it is Bible Study Fellowship and E.W. Bullinger. You, you can't get any further apart than that. For In preparation for Bible Study Fellowship's year-long study, which just began. I think you mentioned him in one of your messages. I only go to class because they have an excellent children's program for my four-year-old grandson. I empathize a lot, uh, I consider myself a missionary uh, to my discussion group of 15 ladies. There is so much false teaching in the churches in our area. Uh, there is so much false teaching in the churches. I take every opportunity to share the truth. Last year, we studied Moses, and I used your signature phrases frequently. Jesus Christ is never not God. Find Christ on every page of Scripture. And do not anthropomorphize God. Of course, I had to explain what anthropomorphize meant. But several ladies appreciated my comments, although I don't think my discussion leader fully endorsed my assertiveness. <laughs> anyway, after hearing, oh, I'm sorry, anyway, after reading a few chapters of Bullinger's commentary, I realize, I realize I will be way out of the box if I go with his interpretation. I find this premise, his premise fascinating, and I'm leaning in his direction. I just want your opinion of his work before I walk the plank in my group. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to your counsel. Thanks again for being my podcast pastor, Deborah, Debbie. I won't use her last name like I usually do. That's hilarious to me. Because as you know, I bring up Deborah's predicament or her dilemma. I have consistently sought out, listen, to somebody who has walked the plank literally almost every Sunday. I know what I'm getting into. I know that when you bring up these kinds of people, uh, Bollinger's position or, or uh, Ada Ruth Habershon's position or Henry Morris's position or whichever position that you want to uh, bring in front of somebody that you know, that uh, you're going to find yourself in, um, how do I say it? You're in singular territory. You're going to be a lonely person, Deborah. And she knows that, of course. And you know it here. You wouldn't come here if you weren't lonely. I have consistently sought out those scholars, those men and women who are student of the, who are students of Scripture, who devoted themselves. They devoted their entire lives. You may not agree with E. W. Bullinger. He devoted his entire life to the Bible. Did he get some things right? He absolutely did. Did he get some things wrong? Yeah. He devoted his entire life. I want to know what he th thought. Um, they neglected those kinds of Clarence Larkin, Bullinger, Arthur Pink. They neglected the shallow. 
They saw the wonder and the complexity, the interdependency of the creation. And they intuitively understood that that was important. And they understood that the, whoever wrote the Bible, whoever wrote Scripture, uh, also and likewise designed his creation. Again, to repeat myself, it's time to move on from the elementary. It's time to take E.W. Bullinger or whomever into Bible Study Fellowship. Leave behind what the Bible calls the unskilled. Solid food should be the target. There comes a time when we can no longer justify being an infant. Hebrews 5, 12 through 6, 6, right? But as Deborah is discovering, diapers and babies are prevailing. We are in the Laodicean age and all we get is diapers and babies. The typical uh, contemporary church has purposed to stay in the simple. Proverbs 1.22 is speaking about the church. How long will you love the simple? Will you ever stop loving the simple? Are you going to cling to the simple your whole lives? The nursery the babies in the diapers has overtaken the auditorium. There is little distinction from what is being taught to the preschool class and to the adults. They're almost the same now. We've descended to that in the churches. What makes this condition worse is that the adults like it. And the church leadership likes it. They like it. Why? Because it's a lot easier to make money off of stupid people. And now everyone thinks that single-digit addition, to use an analogy, everyone thinks single-digit addition is differential equations. By that I mean that the modern church has convinced itself that milk is solid food to the place where they don't even recognize solid food and they won't accept solid food. They don't have any interest in it at all. In fact, they, they will throw it back at you if you attempt to give it to them. They shun it. They can't even understand what it is. Which brings us back to remember Lot's wife. I know what I'm getting into when I do remember Lot's wife. Uh, Dave was reminding me, supper Dave was reminding me that I had a series of lectures back in when? 2007, right? Yep, 2007. I did remember Lot's wife. I've been doing remember Lot's wife a long time. So, what's that? Uh, Dave said that he put those on sermon audio for those of you on the internet audience that want to see what I left out back then. And there's no question about it. Back then I had, I was concerned about doing subjects like Remember Lot's Wife because I know how unusual they are. And when you start giving them out to people, the first thing they do is that it is not something they've ever heard or ever considered. They think they understand it, never asked a single question about it, don't have any place to put it in context. And they go about their lives that way. And when you try to, when you rattle that cage, uh, you're going to end up in, a, you're going to end up like Deborah. You're going to be lonely. Okay. Last Sunday, I intimated that we would solve Remember Lot's wife. So let me start out again here and by putting these on the board. I get in trouble. Where's Amanda? Okay. When Amanda comes up from the nursery.
tell her that I did exactly what she wants me to do again. And I always do it whenever I notice she doesn't stay here. It's my plan. Okay, I, I said that uh, the solution uh, to lay in, in connecting Genesis 19, uh, 25 through 29. My five didn't come out very good. Let's try it better. Mark 11, 15 through 18. And Second Peter 6 through 9. 2, 6 through 9. Essentially, I'm proposing that the pillar of salt has an intrinsic uh, relationship to the money changers in the temple. When you put the money changers and the pillar of salt together, you begin to figure out uh, what exactly, remember, Lot's wife means in my view. And that, that's apparent uh, by Second Peter 2, 6 through 9. So let's go and reread Second Peter 2, uh, 6 through 9 again. If I got that correct. Perhaps if I went to Second Peter, it would look more like what I was expecting. There we go. We'll start in verse uh, six. Oh, let's not. Let's start. Uh, let's start in verse five. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and saving Noah. And so he's linking Noah with something. And he links it to Sodom, and I'm going to get rid of Sodom, and I'm going to link it to Lot. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example. Okay, be very important now to, to define that word. Making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Let me emphasize example. Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, is an example. We're supposed to understand that, what Peter wrote. He understands it. He knows why he's calling it what he's calling it. Do we understand it? There's a large amount of information here, as always. He, he, he puts together, Peter does, Holy Spirit does. He puts together, essentially, Genesis 6. What is Genesis 6? That is the angelic host. That is the Nephilim. That's the great wickedness that occurs. He throws in Noah. And then he has Lot and Sodom. Which is essentially the same thing. So those three things are placed together. I have the fallen angelic host of Genesis 6. I have Noah and the flood and Lot and Sodom. Lot and Noah repeatedly are side by side. I hope you've been noticing that. that we've yet to exhaustively address why it is that Noah and Lot are side by side. But clearly they are two parts of a whole, aren't they? Noah is one part. Lot is the other part. And we will address it exhaustively, but not anytime soon. But don't pass up, don't pass by Noah and Lot. The Genesis 6 judgment 
and the Sodom judgment. Let me write it this way. This is my favorite way to write it. Noah is in the water. Isn't he? Lot is taken. There's that word. Out of the city. And these are examples. Certainly what transferred, transpired at Genesis 6 must have reoccurred somehow at Genesis 19. At Sodom, it either completely reemerged or it just had the beginnings, the sprouts of it. Anyway, God says what happened at Sodom was grave, horrifying. So whatever you think happened at Sodom, you have to be consistent with how God describes it. Anyway, we note once more that the events of Sodom are a pattern. Example is pattern. Model, if you will. It's a model. It's an archetype. The root word there is um, our word paradigm, typical, type. And so whenever we start talking about types in the Old Testament, and again, I know where I'm at. I know that uh, typology is not something the people in the church today are interested in very much. It's rare to find it. It's rare to find a Christian that understands the typological aspect of the Old Testament. But immediately when we're in any discussion about typology, you've got to go to the road of Emmaus. I have two guys. Here comes Christ. They don't know it's him. That's not surprising. That's Luke 24. And Christ begins to talk to them. And where does he start? What does the verse say? It says he begins in Genesis. And he goes all through the Bible. And tells them everything that is in Genesis all the way to Malachi. That is a type of him. How long a lecture was that? Could he unzip their heads and just pour it in there in 20 seconds? He could. He could download it, I guess, right? Use a vernacular. How many things have I ever downloaded in my life? The answer is none. Okay. How many cell phone calls have I made? I have to think about that. Have I ever made a cell phone call? I don't think so. Somebody bought me one because he wanted to keep track of me. I left it at home. I told him, thank you, I'll never use it. Well, how can I get a hold of you? Exactly. Exactly, that's the plan. I have to admit, I have done some emailing. It takes me hours to do it. <coughs> but just imagine what he said to them. This is God telling them everything that is in Genesis to Malachi that is about himself. How all the types that are there, he could have done it very quickly. He understands how the brain is designed. He made it. He could have uh, overridden its capacities. But in any event, it implies that he took some considerable time. He walked with them and got it all done. He said to them, 
He said, to, he says to us, he's got this order at John 5.39. Search the scriptures, he says. That's an order. It's not a suggestion. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are the things that testify of me. They're types. The scriptures were the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is, is typology about Christ. It's a portrait of Christ. Search the scriptures with that in the forefront. That's an order. If you don't find Christ in the Old Testament, you have failed. 1 Corinthians 10, 1-12, where Paul outlines that which occurred to Israel. He said he takes Israel. He said everything that happened to Israel really did happen, but everything that happened to Israel that really did happen is a type is an example. So that means that we've got to approach Sodom, Lot, Lot's wife, Lot's son-in-laws, Lot's daughters, and and assess the inherent typological characteristics. If you don't have the typology, you're never going to understand, remember Lot's wife. That's a strong statement. I'll stand by it the rest of my life. Put it on my tombstone. If you don't understand, remember Lot's wife, because you have no idea about the typology of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his wife, his daughters, his sons-in-laws. And the rest of it. If we assess the typological characteristics, perhaps then we can properly assign the meaning of God's directive to remember Lot's wife. That again is not a suggestion. I'm very aware that the church today ignores typological studies. I'm very aware that the church today thinks it solved Lot's wife. They're absolutely convinced of it. Why do you suppose, just as an afterthought here, why do you suppose that uh, the church uh, intentionally refrains from teaching the things that testify of Christ? They don't. I challenge you, find a church that is teaching typological work. Find it. Good luck. Why don't they do it? What do they do instead? Now, these are generalizations, I understand. But generalizations are generalizations because they're generally generalizations. Does that make sense? They're mostly true. Predominantly true. There are outliers, obviously, but by and large, they're mostly true. The church doesn't teach typology. What is it? Typology is about who? Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And it portrays him as God in the flesh every time. Always God, never not God. That's what it does. And it's ignored. What do they do instead? They teach about what? They teach about themselves. You. Me. See, the choice is uh, people. Is it going to be Christ-centered or is it going to be self-centered? As soon as you figure out that they want to be self-centered, that solves the question, right? There's no money. It's about the money most of the time. That's a generalization, right? Understand the motive behind it as well as the disdain for it. Lot's wife and money changing. I'll put this on the board too. Can't. Lot's wife plus money changing. Overthrow. Or overthrown. He overthrew the money tables. He overthrew the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Those things are connected. When we, we understand how they connect, how Lot's wife connects to the overthrowing of the money changing tables here in Mark 11, then it's going to be helpful to understanding, remember Lot's wife. Luke 17:31 and 32, of course, is uh, uh, where he says, remember Lot's wife, but the verse that precedes it becomes very important to us, as well as 34 through 36. For those of you who like to get ahead of me, we'll do a little bit of that today. I'll slip it in there without you really understanding uh, how I'm doing it. How do those verses impact uh, the meaning of remember Lot's wife? So to repeat the question really fast now, did Lot's wife return for her stuff, her possessions? That's 1734 through 36 and 31. Did Lot's wife go back to get her stuff? Or did she return for other reasons? That's, that's the, the, I'm repeating that question. Now I'm going to rephrase the repeating of the question. Did Christ use God? Did Christ use Lot's, let me back up. Did Christ use Lot's, oops, might drop me down a little bit in 19, or is that, is that this one? Okay, I might be yelling, huh? I should take some medicine, calm myself down. Wow, that works every time. I should invest in the company. I'm single-handedly keeping them afloat. And all they're giving me is some kind of brain tumor. I'm only kidding, don't send me. Okay, go ahead and write me about it. Probably won't get their Coca-Cola now. Probably won't won't like me as much as they used to. Let me repeat the repeated question. Rephrase the repeated question. Did God use Lot's wife in Luke 17:32 as a portrait of a woman who so loved her wicked city and her wicked life in evil that she rejected His hand of salvation? Instead, she chose to perish in her sin. That is what we call the common view. Is that your view? Let me repeat it. Do you think Jesus Christ said, remember Lot's wife because he is presenting her as a wicked woman who so loved her wickedness and that she rejected the hand of salvation that held her and ran back because she wanted to live in sewage where she was going to be murdered That's the common view. Option two. Or, option two. Is Lot's wife presented by Christ, by God, to be remembered by Israel at a time of great tribulation? They're in the tribulation. They're at the end of the tribulation. The Antichrist is on the precipice. He's on the threshold. Is Lot's wife being presented by Christ to be remembered by Israel at a time of great tribulation because she cared nothing for her physical possessions. Those are them's your choices. That's really the only two possibilities. There's no third possibility that we should entertain. 
Is he presenting her because she had no regard for her own life, because she was willing to lose her own life, and therefore she is preserved forever as a pillar of salt? Let me put it this way. Therefore, she is forever the pillar of salt, preserved. Either way would work. So, yes. Go ahead. Well, uh, Supper Dave is is saying something that I've um, that we've talked about quite a bit here, but um, let me rephrase it for him a little, so that you guys recognize it out there on the internet. He's saying, "Listen, this is uh, at its basis, this is an eternal security question: Is Lot's wife saved or isn't she? If she's saved, then she's always saved because salvation is eternal, and uh, there is no one once saved, always saved is profound. There is no." I can reject my own salvation. You don't have the ability. Because if you did, no one would be saved and you would have God uh, having a, having formatted, for, I'm sorry, formatted a plan of salvation by which no one is saved. Because everyone would reject the salvation because we're all frail, fragile, sinful creatures. So eternal security is, is foundational. And Dave wants to know, well, once you realize that she was taken by the hand, there's that word again. Let me put it, taken. She's taken. Why do I keep saying she's taken? Out. She's taken out as opposed to left in. Noah's in, lots out. Figure out what that means. You can do it without me. But she's taken by the hand. She accepted the hand. How did she get loose, I've asked all the time. How did she get away from them? Did they hold on to her as she was running back? They still. When did they let go of her? When does God let go of you? When do the angels lose their grip? Dave thinks that once you see that, you would understand that she wasn't going back for her physical possessions. I don't disagree with that, Dave. I think you're correct. But I do know that most people believe that Lot's wife is presented by God as somebody who is profoundly wicked. And I'm saying to you, okay, prove it. That's what you believe? Prove it. And the other side is that uh, he's presenting her because she had no regard for her own life, because she was willing to lose her own life, and therefore uh, he, um, she is preserved and called salt, pillar of salt. And so you have to decide which it is, or which is it. I submit the typological evidence that we're going to review here in a minute is of great value, as always. It's it's difficult to conclude what's true here without the typological evidence. And we have many, many elements, details given to us. Now, I'm going to go back and read them. i got to hurry today. I know this is repetitive, but unfortunately, we have so many people coming and going. um, It's necessary to keep everybody on the bus. It's just part of the process that I've committed myself to. Let's go look at Genesis 19. We'll start in 12. Then the men, the men here are the angels, said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Do you have anyone else here? What's implied there? That there must be somebody else somewhere. Do you have anyone else here? Sons and son-in-law, your sons, your daughters. 
They're asking the angels who would know, right? How many lots, uh, how many lots people are there? They're asking him, have you anyone else here? Son-in-laws, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. It's gotten so bad, it's time to destroy it. Now, what exactly, what they do, what, what were they doing there? So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, and who, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Take the daughters who are here. Essentially, forget about the daughters that aren't here. Forget about the sons who aren't here. If there are sons and daughters. Henry Morris, as I said last week, uh, makes it a very powerful case. Lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of the two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought them out and set them outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in this plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Now, look behind can be also, don't, don't come back. Don't lag. Run quickly, go. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight. Notice again in verse 16. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand. He's lingering. He doesn't want to go. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed, now that your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now the city is near enough for us to flee to. And it's a little one. Please let me escape there, and my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing, and that I will not overthrow this city. Back to overthrowing the money changing tables. I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I have spoken. I'm sorry, I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Okay, so we have a lot of elements. Let me throw them on the board fast as I can, I will try to hurry through this so that we get it all done today. I have sons-in-law. Why is that detail in there? I asked that last week. Lingering. I have this lingering. Very important. Overthrown. Or overthrow. Takes me to the money changers. Salt. I didn't read that part, but it's there. Took a hold of his hand. Taken. Taken by the hand. When God takes you by the hand, how good a shape are you in? Are you going to get away? His... Lord is merciful. 
Is God merciful? Yes or no? How does it, how do I reconcile merciful with shooting somebody essentially because they look back? Can't be true. Have you anyone else here? Is there anyone else here? Not is there anyone else, but anyone else here? And then the last one, I, I, I can't go to the mountains lest some evil overtakes me. That's the obvious question that we won't answer today. What evil is after him? There's some evil. How evil is evil? Some evil overtake me and I die. And then God says to him, See, I have favored you. See, I have favored you. So it would be very important, wouldn't it, to find out if that you is the plural you or the singular you, wouldn't it? Be important to know that, I think. Seems that that Lot is arguing with somebody. Hey, you know, let's not go up the mountain here. Mountain, I gotta go over here. Well, I got evil gonna overtake me. What do you think? Okay, go there. I won't blow that city up if you go there. But I, I, I gotta wait. You gotta hurry and get there because I can't blow this other city up until you get there. That seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Do you remember that Abraham seemingly argued with God? These are called in, Bi- in the Bible uh, dramatic theodicies, and we'll understand that in the weeks to come a little bit more fully. God is teaching us something about how he operates. Anyway, those details that I just listed and others have become important in that whatever we conclude about Lot's wife, all of the components must reconcile. And again, be suspicious of our determinations if they don't reconcile. If you can't make all of those fit together, then uh, maybe your conclusion is goofy. So let's ask some more obvious questions. See if we can establish the typology that is within this literally true actual event with these real people who said and did all of these things that were recorded for us as an archetype, as a type, as a model, as a portrait of Christ for our sakes. So what do we know about salt? As a symbol in the Bible, what is salt? It is a preservative. Absolutely. It is used in Scripture to symbolize the slowing of the inevitable corruption. The church, you and I, the Christians, believers in the church, uh, Christ says, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, your presence is slowing down the corruption that is inevitable in the earth. You're the salt. You're the preservative. You're the slowing agent. If you're taken by the hand out, then the corruption process will accelerate. So that's what we know salt is. Lot's wife is a pillar of salt. Now, Dave brought Supper Dave. This is the Supper Dave sermon, apparently, today. Supper Dave brought up the fact that when he was reading commentaries, the commentators will say, salt is a preservative and is an example of a believer, and salt is a good thing. It's pure, it's white, it's it's all of these good things, except for where it's applied to Lot's wife. There it's bad. It's good to be a pillar of salt everywhere else in Scripture, but not there. 
Again, be suspicious of yourself. So somehow, Lot's wife, if the believers in the church are called the salt of the earth, somehow Lot's wife is associated with the church. How is she associated with the church? Well, Lot's wife is taken. The church will be taken. She is salt. The church is salt. She is assigned to Israel during the tribulation. The church is is assigned to Israel during the tribulation. In fact, the taking of the church is assigned to Israel in the tribulation. So here is Lot's wife assigned to Israel in the tribulation. So at least we now have a start. Is Lot's wife and the sign of the taking of the church the same sign? I think it is. I'm going to read this part that becomes a lot of fun. Well, not really fun, but okay, fun to me. Then Lot went up out of Zoar after the destruction when God overthrew the cities. Verse 29. Verse 29, Genesis 1929 and Mark 11:15 overthrew the cities, overthrew the tables. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and the daughters were with him for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. Why? Why is he afraid? Some evil is going to take, overtake him, kill him. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, how many I got? Two. One of them's name is firstborn. What's the other one's name? Younger. Always wanted to do that. Name my kids firstborn and younger. Which one do you think would have the best name? See me later. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man on the earth to come into us as it is our custom of all the earth. Why did they think that, by the way? Come, did they think everything got destroyed? They're the only survivors, just like the Noadic family? Oh, he's linked to Noah again. Come, let us make our father drink wine. Oh, he's going to get drunk in the cave. Noah get drunk in a tent? wonder why, how this is working. And we will lie with him. Uh-oh. We have drunk in a cave, drunk in a tent, something going on. That we may preserve. What salt? A preservative. That we may preserve the lineage of our fathers. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with their father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine all tonight also. And you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son, and he called his name Moab, and and is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Notice, who are we? Gotta, who are these two daughters? Notice, preserve. Repeat that. First, notice that. Also, second, notice that the Noah similarities. Noah in a tent, drunk, lot in a cave, drunk. 
Where did the daughters get the wine, by the way? There's grandchildren involved in both, right? With Noah, I have Canaan. He curses Canaan. Here I have Moab and Ben-Ami. Again, Noah is in the waters. Lot is taken away, out of the city. A firstborn daughter and a younger daughter. Two daughters. Let me repeat it. An older daughter, a younger daughter, a first daughter, a second daughter. Twice they say that we may salt, that we may salt. Okay, we may preserve, we may preserve. It is interesting that Lot and Lot's wife were both preserved in a sense, isn't it? One's a pillar of salt, the other one's preserved by the daughters. Who do you think those daughters, they are examples, they are types, they are symbols, they are portraits of something. There is a theological truth there. There's two of them, one's old, one's young. Who are these sons-in-laws? When Lot warns of coming judgment, when Lot says great tribulation is coming, when the one who is taken out of this tribulation, who is taken out of the city, when he comes and warns to those who are going to stay in the city, when the one who is taken out of the earth comes to warn those who are still going to be on the earth about the tribulation that is coming, when Lot says angels are going to take me by the hand and all that will come with me will escape, the sons-in-law think Lot is joking. They think he's an idiot. They don't believe that God's going to end the very grave sin of Sodom. Why wouldn't he end the very grave sin of Sodom? What if he doesn't end the very grave sin of Sodom? If he doesn't end sin, is he good? Is he just? Is he holy? See, you've already insulted his character. Genesis 18.20. Very grave sin of Sodom. God will not end the great outcry of the many, many victims of Sodom. That is essentially what the son-in-laws are saying. God's not going to end sin. He's not going to stop what is going on here ever. It's horrifying. It's filthy. It's beyond anything we can really imagine. We have no idea how bad this was. We have no example of it to this day. It's coming. And that's what they're saying, that God is going to never bring justice to all these victims to this blood. They say to uh, Lot, you're an idiot. Who today, by the way, thinks the Christians are idiots? Pretty much everybody, right? They think the Bible is a joke. They think it's a collection of stories. See, when you don't teach the typology, if you take Christ out of it, it becomes... It becomes nothing without Christ. If it is Christless, it makes no sense. So if you don't teach it, you end up with, uh, uh, even your own believers think that the Bible and the Old Testament, none of it is true, none of it has any value. It's a collection of fables. Who's, who jokingly calls God today the invisible sky fairy? Having said all of that, I wonder, when Lot went to warn the son-in-law's I want to know who was with him. I said that last week as well. Uh, was Lot's wife there? You think it's possible that uh, Lot would go and talk to the son-in-laws without his wife? They're eyewitnesses to the angels, aren't they? By the way, do you think the angels went with him? 
I got a couple of angels right here. They're going to destroy the city. I think it's obvious that Lot's wife went. I do not think Lot would leave behind the firstborn and the younger daughters either, considering the danger that they're going to be in, right? By the way, how many daughters are between the firstborn and the younger? I have number one, and I got the baby. How many I got in between? How many sons do I have before the firstborn daughter? Or is she the firstborn? Then how many sons and daughters do I have between the firstborn and the younger? Just asking, it's my job, after all. Why aren't the sons of Lot mentioned by Lot, except for this one section there where they're mentioned by the angels? Again, still doing my job. Okay. Lot's wife makes an attempt to return to Sodom. And doing so, for doing so, the fact that she makes an attempt to return to Sodom, Israel in the tribulation is to remember her which requires that they know why she went back. Knowing why Lot's wife tried to go back and why this lingering, why they, they both stalled. They all stalled. They're saying, hurry, hurry, hurry. They're going, well, you know, I can't go there. It's, why this lingering is obviously important to the story. I'm suggesting that the lingering and the lagging, the subsequent lagging behind that Lot's wife did are related. The lingering continued. Lot and his daughters moved, but not Lot's wife. She started to lag back. And I think the language supports that, as well as the context. I have lagging and i got more lagging. I've got lingering and more lingering. Lot's wife did not want to leave. She would rather die in Sodom. I think it's obvious that she believed she would die in Sodom. That everybody would die in Sodom. That's why she's going back to Sodom. The son-in-laws were unconvinced. They didn't think anybody was going to die in Sodom. It's all a big joke. What would convince the sons-in-laws that they're about to die in Sodom? When's that going to happen? So the question really is, how much time for the sons-in-laws is left when the fire bombing starts? How much time do the sons-in-laws have? Let me ask it this way. How much time does God usually extend? He is what? Merciful. Is he going to give them a chance? Let's just take it to the tribulation, because can't you see that Sodom, the blowing up of Sodom and the blowing up of the earth, in the sense the earth is just ravaged and by great signs of judgment. How much time do you have in the tribulation to figure it out? How many firebombs do you need before you say, okay, God is coming for my soul? Do you have any time in the tribulation? Yeah, you got seven years. What do we call seven years of time? Mercy. He could take it out like that, but he doesn't. He extends it over seven years. He even says to us the purpose of the tribulation, there's those purposes to turn the stubbornness of the people of Israel, to turn them to Christ, to me. Also, to end the wickedness 
in the world, in the wickedness in Sodom, and worldwide revival. So he's turning people towards him. He's ending wickedness, and he has a revival during the tribulation. I'm telling you the same thing's happening in Sodom. It is a type of the tribulation. has to be so, right? So how much time for the Simon and laws are left once the fire bombing starts? How much time does God usually extend? He always extends extra time. Always. He does it. Lot's wife didn't make it back. She didn't make it back. Why not? Why didn't God allow her to make it back? You have to answer that. I think Lot's wife thought it through. I think we should think it through. I I think it was not what did she choose. I think it was whom did she choose. She wasn't going to the mountains or to Zor without someone. She She wasn't going to go without someone. She wasn't going back for something. But she wasn't able. She didn't make it. I think she anticipated that. I think that she knew there was a very strong chance that she's not going to make it. That's why she lingered back. That's why she was last and lagged. Because if she tries to go, what's possibly going to happen? Daughter's probably going to go with her. Maybe Lot goes back. She took off. How else do you explain she made it? If your mother and you are trying to run from a burning building and your mother turns around to go back after somebody, are you going to tackle her? If it's hopeless, is she going back? Irrespective of the fact that she will die in that building? I think that's what we call mothers. Either way, she wins, right? Either way, Lot's wife wins. I've long said the rapture of the church is not for the church. It's a sign for Israel. Lot's wife is a sign for Israel. All we got to do now is connect money changing and we're home free. And we got lots, we got one plate done. What did it take me? Three weeks? 5,133 plates to go if you're counting. 